I'm ready. Melchizedek. 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 Consupience. Conscupiscence. Compis science. Kibroth Hatava. Kibrotha Hava. Habadahadava. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Mayor Shalala Hazabaz. Mayor Slap Hash Bads. Kushan Rishathaim. Kushrithnathamim. Pass. Jehoshaphat. 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 Josephat. Ooh, I know that one. Josephat. Shela Mathakathoth. Sila. Sila Mahakilokath. These are in the Bible, seriously? You promise, these are in the Bible. You made some of these words up. These are not all biblical words. Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? Really cool day today. We're landing a series we've been calling uh, Big Words. Uh, before we get there, though, I don't know if you guys have heard yet this morning. Uh, apparently last night in Florida, uh, the largest mass shooting ever in the history of the United States happened. Uh, 53 people, I believe, were killed. 50 people killed. 53 are in the hospital uh, right now. And it's just, it's just a reminder that this world you and I live in is broken. And that the only solution for this world is Jesus. And, uh, yeah. My prayer is that the churches in Florida will be the churches and that they'll point people who right now have got to be in tons of pain and lots of confusion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you and I will be the church we need to be in Chandler and that we would point people constantly to the Lord because we live in a broken, dark, and fallen world. But here's what I thought we'd do. I thought we'd just take a moment and pray. Uh, that God would somehow redeem an absolutely dark moment. So if you'd stand, and then I just thought we'd pray together for a moment. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, we come to you in a moment that just has nothing but darkness all over it. And God, we're just going to ask that you would step into man's worst and somehow redeem the moment, that somehow families... Uh, that are hurting right now would turn toward you instead of away from you, that, that people who are living in this moment in confusion would find answers in you. And God, we do, we pray for the churches there in Florida. God, let them be light. Let them, let them reach out in a moment like this with hope and the power of the gospel. And then God, we pray for ourselves. May we always be that light here in Chandler, and that we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so we're getting ready to uh, wrap up our series that we've been calling uh, Big Words, and just want to say this out loud. It's not big words because they're long, like the ones we've been doing up on the screen. They're big words because they make a big difference whenever you understand them, and what we've been saying to each other is, hey, there are some words that we read in the Bible sometimes, or maybe you hear them in a sermon once in a while, and you say to yourself, well, I, I think I kind of understand the meaning of that word. I think I got the gist of what it's all about. And yet, if you and I were to actually digest that word, to take that word in and fully appreciate it for what it really, really means, that word would change us. It would, it would steer our lives in a profoundly different direction. 
And so we've said, look, they may be short in length, but they are big in impact in our lives. And so we've been unpacking a few of those words. If you've been here uh, during the course of the series, you know that uh, at one point we talked about this idea of repentance, this idea of saying, hey, my life was headed this direction, and somewhere it occurred to me, somewhere I realized where I was going was dark. What I was doing uh, was broken. And in that moment, I decided to be done with that. And I turned 180 degrees. I said, that's, that's my old way of life. I, I'm heading a completely different way. Repentance. Then we talked about the idea of the gospel. And guys, people mess the gospel up so bad and we add things and take away. And the gospel is not about being baptized and the gospel is not about going to catechism. And the, the gospel is not about how many times you attend church. The gospel is relatively simple. The gospel is simply this. It's coming to a point where I say, look, I'm a sinner. I've, I've done some stuff. And what I've come to realize is I can't fix my sin. I can't help enough little old ladies across the street. I can't put enough money in the offering plate to change what I've done. I can't fix it. But there is a Savior who can. He died on a cross to pay my price. And by choosing to believe and put my faith in Him, everything changes. That's the gospel. And guys, let me tell you why you want to know that. Someday your child's going to come to you and you'll be sitting at home and they're going to say, hey, I want to be a Christian. And you realize as a parent, you'd have the privilege of leading your child to Jesus by simply explaining to them, we've all sinned, you can't fix it yourself, Jesus paid the price, ask him in your heart. It's the gospel. It takes them completely to the other side of the cross. And then we talked about this idea of justification. It, it's this moment when we put our faith in Christ, when we cross past the cross, and in that moment, it's just as if I never sinned that what Jesus does in my life is declare me completely innocent. He washes away every ounce of guilt, and, and suddenly I am placed in a completely new standing before God. I'm justified before Him. And then last week, we talked about this idea of sanctification, which is really just a big word for saying the process of going from a baby Christian to being a fully mature Christian that the minute you became a child of God, God became absolutely committed to making you look like Jesus Christ. That he's gonna do whatever he has to do, he'll take you through whatever circumstance he has to take you through to help you grow up to look like his son. And here's, God is not interested in you having a happy life. He's interested in you having an amazing life. And amazing means you look like Jesus. So there may be some bumps on the way, but who cares if we end up looking more like Jesus for the bumps, okay? Today, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, this word sealed. You're gonna see it show up several times in scripture, sealed, and here's the question. Once a person becomes a Christian, are they sealed? In other words, if I become a Christian, can I ever stop being a Christian? Or is it that once I become a Christian, I'm now a son or a daughter of God and I'm stuck with God. I mean, I'm a Christian the rest of my life. And how you answer this question is going to change how you behave and how you live. So let me just say this. If you ask Jesus in your heart and then you sin, are you still a Christian? If I ask Jesus in my heart and I do a really big sin, like let's say I murder somebody or I commit suicide, am I still a Christian? Are you sure? 
what if, think about this, what if I'm 10 years old, I ask Jesus Christ in my heart, and from that day forward, I never again even acknowledge Jesus or talk about Jesus. I live the rest of my life horribly. Am I still a Christian? Ah. What if, what if I'm a teenager, I grow up in youth group, and uh, I, I love Jesus, all this. Now I go off to college. I get in my first biology class. They tell me how absolutely ridiculous it is to be a Christ follower. I now come home and announce to my parents, I don't believe any of that Jesus stuff. I think all of the Bible is a myth, and I'm done. So I renounce God. I renounce Christ. Am I still a Christian? And it gets harder. And guys, look, 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 look. Here's why this is a big deal and why it's a conversation for us. Because I guarantee you, some of us in this room have had seasons in our life since we came to know Christ where no one could tell we knew Christ. Where we went off and sinned and lived as if God didn't matter. And so the question is, were you a Christian the whole time or did you need to come back and become a Christian again? Here's another one. What do you do when the kid who goes off to college and renounces Jesus is your kid? What do you do when, when your freshman in college comes home and says, I, I'm just done. I'm done with all this Jesus stuff. I don't believe one ounce of it. Are you praying for them to get saved? Or are you praying for them to get right? See, this changes it, right? And this is a critical question. Now, here's what you need to know. Christians disagree on this. There are really, really good Christians who take both views. There are Christians who say, no, 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 you can lose your salvation. If you sin bad enough, if you sin long enough, if you sin far enough, then there comes a line and you cross it and suddenly you're not a Christian anymore. There are other Christians who say, no, no, no. Once you become a child of God, you're always a child of God. Anything you do, you're still going to be a Christian. So here we go. Now, if you can lose your salvation, if you can stop being a Christian, here's basically where that begins with. The idea is this, that in the moment that someone asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart, Jesus forgave them for all of their sins. But here's what they would say, if you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins when you were 26, well then Jesus forgave you for all of your sins up into 26. So he forgave you for all of your past sins, he forgave you for all of your present sins, but he couldn't forgive you for your future sins because you hadn't done them yet. So if you now sin after being a Christian, you would have to become a Christian again, confess the sin, get it taken care of. Think about this for a moment. How many sins does it take to keep someone out of heaven? One, which means in any given day, you would have to become a Christian 37 times. <laughs> if you're a man and you go to the beach, you're just lost. You're just <laughs> lost. There's no hope. There's no hope. You might as well just pluck the eyeballs out now. Right? Or let's say, whoa, 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 let's say, you know, somehow God, you know, in his grace says, okay, well, it's not like your first sin, it's when you commit too many sins. That, you know, you would cross a line and you would stop being a Christian. But here's the question, how many sins does that take? Because, I mean, wouldn't you want to know? I mean, because you're going, dude, I'm like at 37, the line is 38, 
I better slow down a little bit, right? Wouldn't you want to know how many sins it took for you to not be a Christian anymore? Or if there was one sin in particular that was so bad that you would stop being a Christian. And here's the deal, guys, think about this. If a Christian could lose their salvation because they sinned, do you realize we'd have to be rebaptizing all of you every Sunday? This would be the soggiest church service ever, right? There's an amazing passage in Scripture that I think helps us with this. So grab your Bibles. It's the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Chapter 15. Go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Luke. Here's the problem, I think, with the view that you and I lose our salvation if we sin again or if we do something that's bad enough again. You realize that if you uh, believe that, you will live your entire Christian life in fear. Because, well, think about this. Uh, you're walking down the street and some woman comes walking by you in Arizona summer attire. Need I say more? And so here you are for a moment and you, oh, I shouldn't be looking at that. But you go, okay, I looked for four seconds. Is four seconds sin? And so you'd find yourself going, dear Jesus, look, I, I, I don't know. I, I looked for four seconds. If that was sin, then I need you to forgive me so I can be a Christian again because I four seconds sinned. Ladies, all of a sudden someone brings up their name. You know which name I'm talking about, the gal who betrayed, the gal who gossiped behind your back. And suddenly in that moment you feel just bitterness and angst welling up. And then you say to yourself, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. I forgave her. I can't feel that way. So was... The 20 seconds of anger and angst, sin. And so you'd be constantly going, God, look, I, I don't know. Did I lose my salvation? And please come back and be my saved. You realize the fear that you and I would live in moment by moment by moment that somehow God had discarded us because we had sinned. And he turned his back. Luke chapter 15. Jesus, I think, trying to help you and I with this very topic, helping us to come to a healthy understanding, tells this parable. And some of you are going to be familiar with it. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch in the story of the prodigal son for the moment when the son stops being a son. Here's why that's critical. Because when you and I became Christians, the Bible says that God made you and I sons and daughters. So watch in this story for the moment in which the son loses his sonship. Here we go. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, here's what it says. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, Bethlehem, Vegas, <laughs> and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, you got to get the moment. You and I as Western Christians don't understand the impact 
the level of disrespect this boy, this son, has just showed his father. But I guarantee you, first century Christians hearing Jesus tell this story realize that he has now gone further than you can go. Let me explain why. He says to his father, look, I want my inheritance now, which is basically tantamount to, you ready? I'm sick and tired of waiting for you to die so I can cash in. So I want what I'm going to get when you're gone because I've been sitting here rooting for your death and you're taking too long, old man. So give me my money now. As the father goes to do that, this younger son gets one-third of all the family wealth. Here's how this works. In the inheritance of that day, the oldest son would get two shares. Every other sibling would get one share. So if you had five brothers, you would add, you would divide up the family farm into six pieces. The first son would get two. Each of the other four brothers would get one. This man has only two sons. So you divide it by three, the older son gets two parts, but the younger son is now walking away with one-third of all the family assets. Now stop and think about this for a moment. If the IRS came to you tomorrow and said, hey, we've leveraged a fine against you and we're impounding one-third of all of your earthly wealth, how bad would that be? You'd be selling your cars. You'd be cashing in all of your retirement. You'd probably be selling your house, losing the equity, and downsizing. And yet that's exactly what this son asked of his father. Dad, I want to cash in my third. I'm leaving. And then here's the worst part of it all. You realize in this generation, in this time, you had lots of kids. You had lots of kids because the kids were all to work in the family business. If you had 10 kids, then you had 10 farmhands to work the farm so that everybody was helping to accumulate the family wealth. As this son says, I'm taking, you know what he's saying? I'm out of the family. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm, I'm done and I'm going to leave you guys to try to manage without me. I'm taking all of my benefit, all of my labor, and I'm leaving you. And what Jesus is describing is a young man who is tantamount to saying, I'm sick and tired of being a son, so I'm leaving. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need, so that he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, guys, again, Jesus is painting this powerful picture because you've got to remember, this is a Jewish young man, and now he's feeding pigs. And you realize that by his dietary, he shouldn't even be near pigs. And yet what Jesus said, this guy has gone to the lowest of the low. There's nothing lower for a Jewish young man to have to be working for a pagan and feeding that pagan's pigs. So this young man has gone as low as low is possible to go. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and against you. I am no longer worthy. I have blown it. If there's a line to cross, I've crossed it. If there's, if there's something to break, I've broken it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his, next word, son. Did you notice throughout the passage, the father stays the father and the son stays the son. Despite his behavior, despite how dark he gets, despite how much he forsakes, the father is still the father and the son is still the son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be, if there, if, if there was a way to blow this, I've blown it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring their best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive again and who was lost is found. So they began to celebrate. And the answer at the end of the story is, you ready, ready? God does not throw away his children. And guys, we already sort of intuitively knew this, right? Imagine, imagine you've got a 15-year-old daughter, and she runs away from home, and you look and you look and you cannot find her. And she's gone for six years. And at the age of 21, she comes back and knocks on your door. And she says to you, in the time that I've been gone, I've done, I've done everything that you prayed I would not do. I, I ran off with this older boy. I've been pregnant multiple times. I've had multiple abortions. I've been addicted to drugs. I've sold my body to make money. I was hoping to come home. You letting her in? Well, of course you are, because she's your daughter. But let me ask you another question. At what point over those six years did she stop being your daughter? And isn't the truth there wasn't a minute in those six years that she was not your daughter? There wasn't a minute in those six years that you weren't looking down the road hoping your daughter would come home. And if you and I as humans understand unconditional love for our children, why would it ever be hard to understand God's unconditional love for you and me? Now, look, look, I get it, I get it, I get someone, someone's going to go, whoa, 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 you know, wait, wait a minute, I get that God still loves me, but what if I just totally forsook him? What if I, what if I did something that's super, super big? What, what if? Okay, so grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. If your Bible's still open, you're working to the right. If you close your Bible, you're going to start at the back, work to the left. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Here's what it says. You ready for this? And you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, big word, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. So think about this. It says, when you became a Christian, God put a seal on you. Let me just ask you a question. 
Who's strong enough to break God's seal? You were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What's the inheritance of a Christian? When do you and I cash in? Boy, we're, we're in trouble here. I'm cashing in and you guys are all missing out. Heaven. Heaven's when, heaven when wrong gets made right. Heaven's when unfairness becomes fair. Heaven's when reward comes for, right? Heaven. Heaven is our inheritance. And the Bible just said the Holy Spirit was a deposit guaranteeing heaven for everybody who believed. Let me see if I can help you with this. How many of you guys have ever like gone to a rental place and you've like rented tables or rented a ditch witch to dig your yard or? All right, three of us, that's great. This is gonna really land. You're gonna go like, man, that's the best example ever. Just related to me so well. All right. All right, for those of us in the room and you've never rented anything apparently, liars. But anyways, <laughs> here's what happens. Uh, you go to a rental place and you say, hey, I need 30 tables you know, for a buffet or a big family gathering. And they say, that's great. And as you go to rent the tables, they then require of you a deposit. And they take your charge card and they run it through the machine and they hold it, you ready, as a guarantee that you're going to return the tables. And if you don't return the tables, guess what they do to your charge card? Yeah, they charge you for the tables. And of course, they charge you a great price because they were used and beat up anyways, right? Now, they're going to charge you full price, right? Deposit guaranteeing the return of the tables. What did Scripture just say? When you became a Christian, God gave you the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing you heaven. Which means if you don't get heaven, you get to run the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, you want to hear it a different way? If God doesn't give you heaven once you become a Christian, you could actually repossess God. Because, think about this, the Holy Spirit is God and He's the deposit. You could hold the Holy Spirit ransom. Is that ever going to happen? No. But that's how sure your salvation is once you become a Christian. And God says, I guarantee this. Now, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there's someone in the room and you're going, yeah, but what about? I can think of a sin that might be too much sin. And that's why God gave us, you ready? The, dumber, the dumb and dumber verse about being sealed. Okay? How many of you have seen Dumb and Dumber? Okay, there's this great moment in the movie Dumb and Dumber. You probably shouldn't be admitting that. There's this great <laughs> moment in the movie Dumb and Dumber. Okay, and I'm going to show that to you, and then we're going to get it. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say, and we really don't... Hit me with it! Just give it to me straight! I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just, least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say 
More like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Okay, so here's what God knew. God knew there'd be a Christian in the room who'd go, ah, you're telling me there's a chance that I can lose my salvation. And so he wrote the dumb and dumber verse in the Bible. And it's Romans chapter 8, verse 38. And again, if you close your Bibles, go to the back, work to the left. Guys, these verses, where you're going to want to write them down. Somewhere they're going to be handy for you. You're going to talk to someone who's struggling. You'll want these verses. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 38. You ready? The dumb and dumb, there's not a chance is what God is saying. Watch this, ready? Starting verse 38. This is Paul talking about you and me being sealed. For I am convinced that neither death, so you ready for this? Nothing you can do after you die, nor life. So nothing you could have done while you were living could change your salvation. Nor angels, so not even good angels, nor demons, so not even bad angels can change this, okay? Neither the present, there's nothing you could do today to change whether or not you're a child of God, nor the future. There's nothing you can do tomorrow that's going to change whether or not you're a child of God, nor any powers neither height nor depth. There's no place you can go. You can't run so far from God that God would lose track of you. Nor, you ready? For all the lawyers in the room. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Period. Period. And guys, here's the bottom line. God will not throw his children away even if his children try to throw him away. I'm going to say that one more time, because that was good, and you're going to want to write that down. God will not throw his children away, even if his children try to throw him away. Now, you're going to say, well, well, because I've heard sermons, I mean, I've heard people talk about that even after I'm a Christian, I need to confess my sins. So if all of my sins were forgiven on the cross… If Jesus forgave everything that I did, watch this moment. Okay, you ready? The confusion comes when we think, hey, I got saved at 26, and so he forgave all my sins up till 26. But think about this for a second. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, how many of your sins were still in the future? All of them. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, how many of your sins did he see? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, how many did he pay for? So why is it so weird to believe that when I came to Christ, he forgave them all? You say, well, okay, Lynn, if that's true, though, why do we confess? Confession, once you're a Christian, is not about being a Christian again. Confession, once you're a Christian, is about relationship. It's about restoring right stand. Think about this. Remember in the prodigal son, remember the son comes home. And what does he say? He says, Dad, look, I've blown it. I've blown it. Dad, I don't even want to tell you the things I did while I was gone. I mean, they were so dark. I don't even deserve to be your son. Would you just let me come be a servant? And his dad, of course, throws his arms and says, no, you're my son. And you get what just happened to that relationship in the moment of confession, right? 
Imagine this. Imagine if the prodigal son had come home and hadn't said anything. Went upstairs, went to bed, came down the next morning for breakfast. How weird would that breakfast have been? Especially with the older brothers. I mean, that would have been weird, right? There'd have been a huge tension. How many of you are married? You know this. I mean, you've had that moment where you have that spat and, you know, things are not going good. And look, 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 look. You're still married. You're still husband and wife. But it's weird, right? And what does it take in that moment? It takes one of you to say something. To say, look, I, I was a turkey. I, I said some things I, I shouldn't have said. And I said them in a tone of voice that was pretty reckless. And I... I'm, I'm just sorry. And usually, what does that do for your spouse? All of a sudden, your spouse goes, yeah, you were. No, you, <laughs> no, usually, hopefully, your spouse goes, no, you know what? And I, I said some things I shouldn't have. But look, watch, watch. You were still married, but what just happened to the relationship through confession? It just got restored. It's exactly what Christians do when we confess our sins after becoming a Christian. It's why we do it. We restore relationship. Okay? Now, last but not least, someone in this room is going to go, oh, I think you just gave us the golden pass. Because think about this, Lynn. If you're telling me that I can become a Christian, and then I'm a Christian no matter what I do, how cool is this? I just got the fire escape. I can ask Jesus in my heart. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know I'm not going to hell, but I can do anything I want. I can sin like crazy. I can sin more than sinners, and I'm still okay because I'm going to heaven. You just told me I'm still a son. I'm still a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. You could. You could if it weren't for Hebrews chapter 12. Because Hebrews chapter 12 says this, everyone that God accepts as a son or a daughter, he spanks the boobers out of them. Which simply means this, if you're gonna be that disobedient child, then God's gonna treat you the way parents treat disobedient children. And you're gonna get the holy fire spanked out of you along the way. And if that's how you wanna deal with God the rest of your life, good luck. Go for it. Some of us in the room would say, hey, you know what, Lynn? This would give God a lot more control. I mean, if we had to live every moment in fear that we'd lose our salvation and we'd make sure we lived a little better and we'd be confessing all the time and, and you know, if we had a fear-based relationship with God, that'd be, whew, we'd be a lot straighter in our lives. Maybe. But what you need to hear is, is God didn't want a fear-based relationship. He wanted a love-based relationship. And let me see if I can help you understand why. You've got an 11-year-old boy, and your 11-year-old son refuses to clean his room. There are things in his room that he took in there months ago, and they are molding. I mean, it's nasty. You know, you, you walk in, and you walk back out. So you go to your son, and you say, look, here's the deal, son. You're going to clean your room, or you're grounded for the rest of your life. Parenting 101. And so your son now goes to clean his room because you have put fear in him about being grounded the rest of his life. And guess how he cleans his room? Stinking dad. 
hate my mom, shoving stuff under the bed so you won't see it, the closet's piled to the top, right? How much joy is there in that? But he did it out of fear. Change the story. You come home from work one day, and your 11-year-old son's room is cleaned, and you go, what happened? And your 11-year-old son says, I knew you'd want my room clean. And so without you asking, I cleaned my room because I knew it would thrill your heart. Now, I don't want to get your hopes up because <laughs> that's never going to happen with your 11-year-old son, okay? But how cool would it be if it happened between the sons of God and their heavenly father? How cool would it be if you and I said, I'm going to go clean the room because I love you and not because I'm afraid of you? It's a big deal. It'd make you a great son. It'd make you a great daughter. And here's why today is important. There are some of us in this room, and you are the prodigal. See, somewhere early in your life, you asked Jesus into your heart, and since then, you've been living in a far and distant land. And you've been doing sin like crazy. And I just want to say to you, you're still a child. You're still a son or daughter of God, no matter what you've done. But I love the phrase in the story when it says, and when the son came to his senses, he went home. And I'm just telling you, there are some of us in this room today, and it's time to go home. It's time to wake up and just head for home. We got Christians in this room, and you've been at home, but boy, you've been taken advantage. So you said, hey, you know what? Everything's forgiven. I'm still a child of God. I can do some stuff. I can get away with some stuff. And it doesn't matter because I'll confess and it'll be okay. You need to clean the room. You need to stop and say, you know what? This isn't about what I get away with. This is about letting my heavenly father know how deeply I love him. And so I'm going to clean the room without being asked. So that when he comes and takes a look, he'll know. He'll know I love him. And we got some Christians in the room. And you need to do some room cleaning. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that when we come to know you as Savior, we're sealed. It's a done deal and it's unchangeable from that moment on. But God, there are some Christians in this room who've been the prodigal. They've been away from you and running from you for years. And today the prodigal needs to turn toward home. They, they need to come to their senses and just say, man, being with my father is better than this. And they need to start that walk. God, we've, we've got Christians in this room who said, hey, I, I, I'm going to heaven and everything's forgiven, so I can, I can ignore that part of Scripture. I can disobey God about that. Because all I have to do is confess, and then I'm okay again, and everything's all right. Time to clean the room.
time, time to just say, Lord, I'm going to serve you because I love you. I'm going to serve you because I honor you. And I'm going to surprise you when you come home. Thank you. Thank you that we are sealed and we live our lives not in fear, but in love. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.